1: Hello and welcome to Two Guys, One Cup Summer Edition. Just because the footy's over doesn't mean we have to stop talking about footy. My name is Charlie Clawson and this is a series we're calling My Club, where I sit down with a prominent supporter of another AFL club and try and get to the bottom of their fandom and find out why they support the club that they do. And this week we're talking to Titus O'Reilly. He's a broadcaster and a sports writer and a presenter and if you follow him on social media, you know he's hilarious. Um, He has a book out at the moment called Cheat which details the ways that sports people have cheated to win throughout history. Uh, Titus is a demon supporter and demon supporters arguably uh, have the title of the longest suffering in the AFL. But I feel like as a saint supporter we might have a lot in common, demons and saints. It sort of makes sense, doesn't it? Um, Alright, here is Titus O'Reilly. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Um, I talked a little bit in the intro about how I'm fascinated to talk to a Demon supporter because as a saint supporter, I feel like we would have a lot in common.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I sort of feel annoyed at Bulldogs fans that they kind of left our little club. Yeah,
1: well, Will Will and I started this whole podcast. It was called Two Guys, One Cup, the one cup to suggest that both our teams have only ever won one flag, and in the first year of doing the podcast, the Bulldogs have to go and win their second premiership and torpedo our entire premise.
0: Oh, it's, it's terrible that things worked out for Will. You know, nothing ever works. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, just constant success for that guy, and even his AFL yeah. team does well. So, but I think you're right. I think we're both uh, we both know what trauma is. Um, mm. We've we've you know we're real footy fans. We're not like the the Hawthorne or the Richmond supporters.
1: I mean, that's what we've got to
0: cling to. Isn't that's it? all that we've got wor- to cling to.
1: <laughs> the working class heroes, like we've earned it,
0: you know. Yeah, I mean, I used to Hawthorne supporters, I, they, and now I get it from Richmond supporters because you know you make you make it, you make fun of the ones winning, and then they'll yeah. they'll sort of complain to me and go, "Oh, what's with all the Richmond hate?" Where I didn't have the hate for them when they were wi- winning; it was more they were the jokes, you know. And, That's the cyclical nature of it that, you know. But Hawthorne supporters especially,
1: you mock them, but what do they care? I mean, if they're just living a joyously happy life, what more do they want? Well, after the Saints lost the second grand final in 2010, the replay, I remember going out um, uh, with Michael Chamberlain and at that stage, it was 2010, and so I was saying to him, like, I'm not greedy. I just want to see... One flag, like you, you've seen six. And he's like, uh, eight. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> and he said eight. And that preceded the three they got after that. <laughs> so, like, yeah. for his entire life, Michael's in his 40s, like every whoa, three years or so, he's seen a flag. Well, that
0: that you can tell by, and this is especially the case with St Kilda, it pretty much is with Melbourne supporters, given ours was so long ago. But if you say to an Auckland supporter, what, what was your favourite premiership? <laughs> And they they all sit around chatting and going, I don't, know, I liked, you know, I like this one, I like, you know, but oh, you know, nine eighty nine as you know, what about, you know, you say to St Kilda supporter, what's your favourite premiership?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so there's no, there's no favourite. And just so the premiership.
1: I and I am someone who just desperately wants the club to get away from that, like. I hate it when they keep trotting out. You know, the Premiership team is 66. They do it all the time, and they seem to hate it too. Like you <laughs> see, like Cowboy Neil. It's like again, guys, come on. Yeah. Like someone, like in I remember in 09 and 10, him doing an interview where he literally was saying it'll be so great if th- this team gets up because he's no longer going to have to be the person that the press call up every September when the Saints are playing finals. Well, well, that's the
0: thing. I always, you know, joke when I need to watch. Our last premiership, I have to get out the projector.
1: <laughs>
0: it's it's literally not in colour. That tell how, how long it's been, and you know it's just this. It's just the grind of it, you know, that just never ends. And mm. That's what it's like being a, a saint supporter. It's like being a melbourne supporter. And Melbourne look won a lot of premierships, but for you know I'm in my forties now. There's a whole couple of generations of us that either never saw it or saw it as kids. You know, so well,
1: well, that's the thing that separates us, I guess, is that you can at least go back to your glorious like history of ten premierships. When I did a tour of Morabin when they'd done the refurb and they took me around all the like the new features the Coach's area and stuff, and then there was like this it was it was like something from a James Bond film where they'd put like the, the most expensive diamond in the world. It was the premiership cup, but like surrounded by a moat, like inaccessible. Yeah. <laughs> without like a, a cherry picker. And I'm like and when you went out onto the ground, you look back and you see it in the window, just like looking out over Marabyn. I'm like, this seems oppressive. I don't know that we want to be putting, you know, that much pressure on the players.
0: Well, I think I think that's true, but I also think with Melbourne, there's this thing of, you know, but I've had I've been with Melbourne supporters who've gotten arguments with other teams, going, other team supporters, going, well, you know, look how many premierships we've won. And I just think, if it happened, you know. 20, 30 years before you were born, it, it's almost irrelevant. Been. Like, the, you know, living yeah. in the – talk about – I mean, people say Essendon fans live in the past. I mean, Melbourne <laughs> or just living in another world. It's just unbelievable.
1: Well, in preparation for speaking to you, I just did a uh, – I'm a diligent journalist, so I did my Wikipedia scan. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing that struck me the most, and I just want to take you through these headings. So these are the headings that Wikipedia have broken the history of the Melbourne Football Club into, and I want you to – See if you can detect a pattern. So, 33 to 64, the age of greatness. Good start, yeah. right? 65 to 86, decades of disappointment. <laughs> Lucky that's turned around. 87 to 2006, the roller coaster years. <laughs> and then 2007 to 2017, years of struggle. So which is which say, is underselling
0: uh, it. That is underselling yeah. that that period. That is a that is a very nice title for what that actually
1: was. So you've been in the mix though in your lifetime. The Demons have been in the mix. Have played grand finals and they've you know been in prelims and did you ever feel like it was going to happen any of those years? So, so I think in
0: the the one against the Hawks in the late 80s I kind of was young enough to not really comprehend you, you know, whether we you, – you just – when you're younger, you just barrack and you think because I barrack yeah. for them, my team, they're going to win one of these. <laughs> By the 2000, <laughs> SM was so good that year yeah. that it was – we were going into it going, a little bit going, I hope we don't get smashed. And I, I think yeah. that's how the club went. <laughs> the whole players went into it.
1: So just, it was 87 that you lost the prelim. That was where uh, Jim Stein yeah, ran over ran the, over the mark. mark. That was 87. And then – 88. 88 you made it and got smashed yeah. is that right yeah. right yeah I mean I think those events can scar a club like I think that I definitely know as a Saint supporter that 2009 2010 the players in 2011 they just looked tired and it was something that sort of permeated the entire club to have gotten so close and to have like, you know, you had a, an inexperienced Irishman run across the mark, you yeah. know, that possibly robbed you in 87. We had like the bounce of a ball or a toe poke. And I think that, I mean, it keeps me up at night thinking about those things. <laughs> Imagine being like a player. <laughs> Imagine being like Stephen Milne or Zach, uh, Zach Dawson who was actually involved in those key moments. Oh,
0: yeah. No, but I mean, it's just, that's the weird thing about, you know, what we're trying to do is little things become... <laughs> encompassing for people's entire lives you know which which is weird because in most jobs that's not the case there's Mm. very few jobs in the world where there it all comes down to a few hours on a saturday afternoon and that (laughs) lives with you for the rest of your life like you can have a bad meeting you can even get fired and it's like annoying but you don't get people you move on you know and you have successes and you forget about it but the window for these guys is so short and if you miss it that's it there's there's no going back or doing anything. So it's a huge thing. And I, I do also wonder, you know, you hear at curses in sport and, you know, the Boston Red Sox had it for a very long time. Melbourne's got the curse of Norm Smith, which we can get into, you know, so yeah. it, it does become this mental self-fulfilling prophecy that whatever can go wrong will go wrong. And then the, whether that sometimes I wonder, cause you've got that mentality then those things tend to happen more, which then reinforces and reinforces the whole thing. But there's also just been a lot of incompetency. It's it's not, you don't need a superstition to recognise incompetence.
1: Yeah, well, that's the other thing that I, I noticed when I was going through the history of the club um, is that like one of the most obvious things that never really struck me before is this deal with the MCC. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea that it was originally struck to kind of get access to all those wealthy MCC members, but then doing this, this this deal where they don't have to buy a membership to see you play each week. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, what a terrible decision yeah. for a 70-year contract or whatever it is.
0: Well, this is the weird thing. You think of any other sport, if you're the rich club of the establishment that literally invented the rules of the game, which is mm. what Melbourne did, they were the first you know, club. and How they haven't rigged this whole competition... <laughs> To be, the fact we're one of the poorer clubs and all this is just, it's just baffling. It's like, but it really does come down. My my whole theory of the AFL is the AFL itself and the reason money is important uh, for the AFL is the AFL as an organisation is not a footy competition. The AFL is an insurance fund against bad club managers because every (laughs) few, once a decade or so, every club has been in this position where the AFL has to come in and bail them out because they've had terrible administration. And the majority of administration is pretty bad. So occasionally a club will get good administrators, you know, Geelong, Hawthorne, Sydney Mm. have had it for a long time. And if you can just have halfway decent administrators, you'll do well because the majority don't. And so St Kilda and Melbourne have just made strategic mistake after strategic mistake.
1: How does that weave into the fabric of a club? Because you hear that word all the time about culture, the culture of a club. Yeah. But boards move on, playing lists change over, coaches move on. Like, is it just the incompetence is so dominant <laughs> and so like widespread that everyone who comes in learns from the bad person? Is that is that where it,
0: where it comes from? I think from? there's a big element of that or there's um, a lot of the people that, you know, they get refreshed on the board, they... They know people who were on the board. So you're getting the incompetent reappointing the next generation sometimes. To turn it around, I think you need someone who's going to come in and just be, you know, a real force of nature and very rare, you know. And Melbourne have just consistently chosen badly. And, uh, you know, no one wants to go there as well. So a lot of the competent administrators just go, that's a lot of work. I can go to Hawthorne and... Had my C V out, you know. So they're like, the administrators like players. They they pick
1: where they think they're gonna win. So tell me like what's your history with the club? Is this a family thing or did you choose the demons?
0: Well I had a I had a strange way of coming into the demons. My my grandmother barracked for Melbourne, and when Barassi right. left for Carlton, she gave up the club and went and barracked wow. for Collingwood. So, you know,
1: Wow, which wow was that just to piss off Carlton? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was. I think she had a go friend the, that was a Collingwood, but she
0: just couldn't. She right. was so furious at the whole situation that, mm. and so I remember that hearing that story and thinking that was odd. But my dad worked for the VFA, so I right. grew up going from when I was a very young kid, just following him around a game. So I backed for Williamstown. I didn't have a VFL team, you right. know, like it was because. I couldn't. I, I I liked footy, but I couldn't really. You know, this was quite young. Every yeah. Saturday, Dad would have to go to the game, so he'd just take me. So I grew but up. But your
1: well, dad didn't have He didn't have a team or anything.
0: No, he he's he's uh, Irish, right? So he came out playing rugby union and all that sort of stuff, but was sports mad, and then ended up okay in a in the VFL a VF, uh VFA. So I had a VFA team, and I'd do that and you know, i barely ever went. And then one day he got invited to a Melbourne game mm. by this is one of the people there. So we went and, you know, it was my first time at the MCG. And I was like, wow. Cause I've grown up in the VF. I was like, this is big and there's crowds <laughs> and the standard seems a little, a little better. <laughs> so I sort of got into it. I sort of said to dad, that's pretty good. I'd love to go again. I really enjoyed that. And, um, then by complete coincidence, like the, about a day or so later, we were talking over the fence to our back neighbor who we knew well and he had a son about my age and he was a member of the Eastern Demons, which was a supporters group. And he right. said, well, you, we go every week, you can come every week. And they were like hardcore, like drive to Geelong, drive to the Witten Oval, drive to Waverley. Like yeah. You know, they all went in a group. And we suddenly we were selling members. I was working in the membership <laughs> tent and... Doing all kinds sounds, of things, you know. It sounds
1: like the same backstory you hear about people who get into Scientology. It was like, <laughs> like I, I say, actually in my
0: book I say about the AFL, it's the Scientology of sport in yeah, Australia that. because rugby union was very upper class, didn't want poor people to play. League, therefore, in opposition to that, is very working class. The AFL from day one, for Australian rules football from day one, has always been, even the first ads were like, women, come and watch it. I mean, they didn't want them to play, mm. but they were like advertising for women to come be spectators. So, and then they went and with the gold rush, they went to WOA and various things, actively trying to convert everyone. It, they've always had this con, there's been this conversion mindset in AFL that the other sports have always been a little bit more insular around, you know. And so it's always been like mm. that. And it was like that. Like the minute they they, I said, "Oh, I'm willing to come." They were like, "Right." we'll put you to work and I just loved it because it was I didn't realize how bad Melbourne were in a way <laughs> and my dad was Irish so, so he kind of he knew enough about it but it, you know he didn't he, he was he did my parents did a terrible job parenting it, not at that stage going Yeah, it's like your parents seeing your their son start to take crack and not stopping them
1: yeah well that's the, I agree wholeheartedly you know I was born in 77 and so I was when I was just old enough to start remembering games, that was when we were heading into our, like our wooden spoon run in the eighties. Yeah. And I remember like in my family, just there just was not a, a question. You, you just back for the saints. My father wasn't actually from Victoria. He was from Sydney. He moved to Melbourne when he was 10. And uh, his first day at his new school, the teacher asked him what team he went for and he didn't have one. And so everyone laughed at him. And so he went home in tears and determined <laughs> to kind of pick a team. And so, you know, he just grabbed the newspaper and closed his eyes and stuck his finger out. And I'm always like, God, imagine if he'd landed on Hawthorne. Yeah. <laughs> like how different my life would be. But, but then he became, a, he became a real one-eyed, passionate supporter. He was at the grand final in 66. I've still got the, the footy record. But, yeah, I, it was funny that everyone in my family, it was just a foregone conclusion. In fact... I do remember as an eight-year-old having a good friend who barracked for Melbourne, and I switched to the Demons for a two-week period, and I was persona non grata in my home. Like, literally my father yeah. did not want me to enter the house because it was so shameful that I would switch teams.
0: Well, I do I do love it, Interesting that story about, you know, him being laughed at because I, I've spoken to a few people from overseas before, I've tried to explain to them what footy is to Victoria, and Melbourne that it is truly like religion, that people don't care how much... It's it's like growing up Catholic. People don't yeah. care if you're actually practising it, if you're going to the mm. church ever or whatever. They just want to... They go, are you Catholic? You say, yep. And they go, great. They don't go, do you go to Mass every week? Do you abide by the Ten Commandments? Do you follow all the church law? They don't care. They just want to go, right, you're one of us. And in, yeah. in Melbourne with footy, if you it's not about liking footy, it's about having a team. So if you said mm. if you said to me, who do you bag for? And I said, I don't bag for anyone, but I love footy. I watch every game every weekend I go to a game every week, you'd go, What's that's weird. Like you haven't pledged yeah. allegiance to anyone. But if I said, Well, I'm a Melbourne supporter, but I never go and I never watch, I couldn't name a player, it <laughs> will go Hey, a Melbourne supporter, hey? Oh. Eh? Hey, no, you're not very, you know, like, they just want to know yeah. what sect you are. They just want to be able to put you in that category. And I find yeah. it really interesting when I'm in Sydney, which I've spent a lot of time over the years in Sydney working and doing other things and in previous lives. And in Sydney, you say to someone, who do you marry for in the NRL? And they'll just go, like, some will say, oh, this team, this team. But you'll get lots of people go, I don't bury. I don't follow you anywhere.
1: No. What I'm always really fascinated when I talk to people about, um, you know, their families and if they supported other teams is is the idea that um, you said you had this friend, the neighbour, who was in the Eastern Demon. So would you just go to the football with them? Your parents would be like, yeah, I'll see you later. You just jump in the car with those guys. And
0: Yeah, we, I mean, we knew him and he had a son my age and they knew him really well. So it wasn't quite like, um, you know. Just- it was strange. Yeah, it's not like we'd never talked before and he – and he just went, yeah, jumping <laughs> like so. Uh, so you know, and um, we'd we'd they would come around for drinks, and we'd go around there and that stuff like that. So it was, it was pretty. It was just more handy. And they were like, great. One of we get rid of one of our sons for every weekend, you know, for you know for a few hours. And um, it was it was great. I just you know I got really into it. I just I, I mean there was a period there where I just you know really never missed a game. I mean I don't miss many now but you know it was it was just in, that just became my weekly habit and uh I loved it and they, and it coincided with them being okay for a
1: little bit so yeah you know it felt like I wasn't completely wasting my life at the time tell me what kind of uh what kind of viewer are you when you're watching tv like if I tape a game and I decide that I'm going to find out the result before I get home and I found out we've lost just delete won't bother mm. watching it are you the same Oh
0: yeah, I've I'll, I've I'll, I'll, I'll never. I mean, mainly now I'd never miss a game live. So you know, but I I would never go back and watch. Like I couldn't tell you about the two thousand grand final. Like right. like I, I I can't remember anything from it. I, the way my mind <laughs> were, you, worked, were you
1: actually there? Sorry, you, you're at the ground.
0: Uh, yeah, and surrounded by Essendon supporters and just you know, knew it was over in five minutes and just sat there upset and le- left as soon as I could once the sinus siren went and, yeah, it was just... There's no walk
1: quite as tragic <laughs> as the losing grand final trudge. No,
0: it's just, it just hurts. Like, it really, I mean, it it's still to me to this day, I, I still wonder why I get so hurt. You know, you'd think I'd be condition to this like I can't watch old games if we've lost I, I don't my way my mm. mind works with footy I was I love footy I love everything that goes with it I'm the way this my mind works on everything but it, it, have, it coincides with sport is I'm not one of those guys that can go remember the 86 round 13 and on the back you know remember who was playing in our back pocket and I'm like no I have no idea I can barely remember all the players from this year <laughs> you know even though i watch it all and read it all it's my job my, my mind just doesn't retain information except for broad themes and key bits yeah. that are going on or certain of it connects events well it does certain things well but it just so i, I blank a lot of it out but I, I would never watch an old game i don't know how that you lost i don't know how anyone does it to me it's just it's too
1: hurtful well i think that idea of not being aware of the specifics of players and stuff and just themes. That's kind of what Will and I have built our entire podcast on. Mm. Is the fact that, I mean, we thought Jesse White was retired for the first two years of doing the podcast. Yeah. Like, you know, we just, we can't remember who, like we test each other at the start of each season, who's the best and fairest winner, who's the coach. And you'd be surprised how often we get like the coach wrong. Like it took us a couple of years to work out that Chris Fagan was not Dennis Pagan. <laughs> well,
0: I think, I think, Probably slightly better than that, not much better, but (laughs) I I think. Um, the the one thing when I started doing what I do is I noticed that there's a lot of the footy media is dominated by people who are both obsessed with footy but obsessed in it in a you know a forensic um way, almost almost you know sort of like rain man esque. And Mm. they're heavy on stats, but they can they'll sit there and wait. I've sat there with them and they'll be recounting a game that you know wasn't even a big game in just great detail and I kind of admire that but for the most of us we bear on pure emotion you know you could you know that's how we approach it and that's what I enjoy about it even as a fan
1: yeah it's the vibe it's the mabo it's that <laughs> and that's kind of why I sort of wanted to do this series is cuz I love talking to people about their clubs and finding out like what is the thing that draws you to a club, what is the identity of the club. Like I know what the outside perception of St Kilda is. And, but for me, it's kind of like this uh, it's this mix of this kind of um, whether Charlie Brown, low self-esteem uh, you know, uh, occasionally we sort of have um, moments and where we aspire to greatness because we've had such brilliant players over the years, but there is this overwhelming pessimism that just lurks underneath you know like this sense that it'll, it just it won't be our time I mean I have often wondered what does it say about me psychologically that I choose to be in this relationship that clearly appears to be so oh, yeah so toxic you know so unrewarding and my wife's from um Scotland and so she was not a sports fan when she came to Australia and I sort of had to like um just wean her onto my football uh, uh, addiction just like sh- just small bits at first I took her to a like a game in a super box you know got all acquainted that way and then sort of downgraded yeah. into like you know AFL members seats and you know took her to one game in the outer which didn't fly <laughs> so I had to quickly go back and like scrounge memberships from somewhere but she kind of she would just dismiss it as well it's just people chasing a ball and I'm like no it's so much more than that like you know, you're an artist, and so you can see like there is beauty and there's art in these stories, and it's really long form st- storytelling. You know, it's not just, you know, that team and how they did that year or that week. I, it's about going to the football as an eight year old with my dad. It's about standing on, you know, cans of VB at Morabin and having like cigarettes put out in the back of my head. Like you buy into this community, which I don't know why like you take a, such a sense of pride and ownership in it, but it feels it I guess it appeals to that primal tribal urge we all have to belong.
0: Yeah, I mean to take it back, like why do you even barrack why would you invest this much time into a relationship that's just hurt you mm. so much? And that so, Melbourne and a are very similar like that and has wasted your time as well, like the amount of time wasted um and if you if but if you even go a bit further than that if you really just take emotion out of it and it's just stone cold rational thought mm. the idea that we have decided that our mood for the week <laughs> is going to be based on how a random group of 20-year-old guys perform against another group of 20-year-old guys and that's going to determine our whether we're ecstatic or or depressed or angry or yeah. whatever, is so absurd. I mean, if you and I just said, "Let's pick a random twenty guys and we'll work out if they had a good night out on Saturday night at the nightclub," you know, like Johno picked up, that's yes, you know, and you know, you know, it's so absurd on a, on a on a level, and that's why a lot of people don't get. And we know it's absurd. That's the thing people who aren't sports fans don't get. They think we all. Take this deathly seriously. We hold two counter views in our heads, which is one is this is the most important thing ever, while also recognizing it's completely pointless and stupid, which I think is part of the appeal. It, it isn't politics, it isn't life or death, but you can, so it's a safe place to just completely, you know, vent all this emotion of life into. Um, at, and then on the top of that, to cover it off, it's, I say this often, it matters because we decide it matters. That's why it matters because we all agree and we all care. And because everyone else cares, it has meaning. And when you drill into most things in life, you know, I'm not a believer in it in much. So I believe like most human things only matter because we all decide they matter. Like I don't think the universe cares that much. So when people say, you know, art matters and sport doesn't, I'm like, none of it actually matters. It matters because it, it, you know, it, it infects us in some way.
1: So when you were a kid, was there one player that really captured your imagination? Who was the number you had on your back or, you know, the player that you, you did cartoons of in your exercise book?
0: Well, I I loved Robbie Flower early on, but the one that fully ignited me and got me, you know, who I felt was my generation and, you know, because you hear of names like Barassi and yeah, he's long before. I never saw him play. You know, long before me, and and you know, so I think it's a bit like you know when you you know you you turn like fourteen, fifteen, the bands you heard then, it didn't. Ma- it doesn't even matter if they're that great. Like there's just something that you can never recapture. You know, a band you discover at forty two is very different to a band you discover at fourteen. You just don't have that. Yeah, because it's the first. You know, it's yeah. the and it's not of your parents' generation. So I remember Alan Djakovic for me yeah. because he just had this amazing about 18 months where I think he was the fastest player ever to kick 100 goals. Right. You know, not in one season, but, you know, the quickest to get there. And I remember seeing him, like, yeah, know, kick 13, I think it was, against Collingwood. Like, just doing insane things. And, you know... It, in terms of raw talent, there was just nothing like it. And he was just exciting. You never yeah. you never knew what he was going to do. And then he just disappeared. Like he just, you know, he ended up at the Bulldogs briefly, yeah. but it was just this bizarre kind of shooting star that, you know, lit up the sky brighter than anything only to just go nowhere in the end. And the
1: Shakespearean thing of having a brother who was the complete opposite, who <laughs> was like, yeah. if he was the mercur- mercurial firework, he was like the strong and steady 200 gamer. You know, it's like they came from the same family, but they couldn't be more different. I mean, you're right. That's my impression of of Melbourne um, uh, in the sort of late 80s, early 90s is there's Steve O'Dwyer comes to mind, Straub. Like, I remember yep. him because he was so tall with the hair. Ricky Jackson, was he like a back pocket or something like that, a peroxide yeah. back pocket? I remember seeing him at Morabbin one day, and I saw he shook hands with Dean Rice. And in my 10-year-old mind, I'm like, look at that, sportsman. <laughs> he gets it. <laughs> it always stuck with me. But then, yeah, Alan Djakovic, in that era of, you know, Dacos and Modra and Lockett and Ablett and stuff, he was just as exciting as any of those guys.
0: Oh, I remember listening when we were driving into a game and – no, on the radio, they someone, I can't remember who it was, but someone, you know, because it was a long time ago, but they were all talking about it, and they all agreed of all the full forwards at the time that Djakovic could be the, weirdly, they thought at the time, could be, end up the greatest if he keeps going like he wow. is now. They said, that, they said that as a big if. Yeah. And I kind of think if he had, he would have been really interesting, but he just didn't have that to discipline. But the thing about Melbourne too is when you think of Melbourne, like, who are our in, – in my lifetime, so you go sort of 80s, 90s, 2000s mm. and this decade, Yeah. who are their stars? And they're not really that impressive. You know, Robbie Flower, genuine star. Yeah. Da- You've got – David Neitz. Gary Lyon. Gary Lyon. You've got – Jim Steins. David Neitz, Jim Steins, you know. None of them are, you know – Once in a generation – top- they're not top top tier. They were the best hit player in the league in their day, or anything like that. Like none of them were. I mean, that people might say I'm being harsh, but it's been a pretty light on kind of you know pickings from having you know like Saint Kilda had Lockett. locket. Yeah, but we didn't have a, we don't have a locket. Yeah, we we don't. Since Barassi, I mean, you've got Flowers the closest, and then. Neats was a, a great player, but you wouldn't say he was one of the you know, the 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 top players of his day. He was right up there, but he wasn't the top, you know. Yeah,
1: he was like the he was like the Drew Petrie of Melbourne. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: Slightly, maybe <laughs> slightly better than Drew, but you know, and then Gary Lyon, you know, he's had the media career, but if he hadn't had the media career, like people probably would be talking at Gary Lyon a lot, you know. It's he yeah. was a very good player, but he wasn't you know, he wasn't um, like a, what a Nat Five is. Or, so there hasn't there been actually quite star free for quite some time. So Djakovic was this brief moment where we all thought, God, mm. this guy might, might be the most talented player in the league or getting close or could get there. And then he just, yeah. it added so much in a way though too, where he was like, you know, it was like Jeff Buckley, put out one great album and then never to be heard of again, you know, passed yeah. away. That was it.
1: I mean, Jeff Farmer was a pretty special talent when he was playing for you guys. I mean, I know he's yeah. a bit of Fremantle, but if you'd hung on to him, he sort of felt like the prototypical kind of Eddie Betts or yeah. Stephen Milne or, you know, specialist forward pocket.
0: But but none of them are the legends of the game standing up like, you know, all very, very well, good players, interesting star cho- players. Interesting some of choice
1: them. of words because didn't Sean Smith stand literally heads and shoulders yes. above Lots of players to take mark of the yeah. century or whatever it is. So, but that's the thing
0: where you can't name someone and go that like no, there's not a player in there that's going to end up you know, hall of a legend. You know, they might get the hall of fame feel from some of have, but they're not going to be they're not that icon icon or or the best one or two player in the league in the day. So It's been it's been a strange kind of time.
1: And so, I mean, do you have a, is there a player who in the last 15 years like who do you who's been your favorite player not necessarily your best but who's the one that you've kind of got the most joy from
0: oh that's a good question I I, I don't know what the word joy means but um <laughs> from the Latin yeah I'm trying to think who's given me great joy I mean you know I, I mean I, I've I've really loved I mean I'm a big Clayton Oliver fan and I know he gets his yeah. critics but he's the first time I felt like and he's still very young I feel like that guy could be, if he fixed up a, you know, which just normal development, like his stats are just insane. And when you actually watch him, I know he gets a bit of stick for his kicking and a bit of that, but when you actually watch him, he's, his play could go on in five years, a bit like Locking Neal did that big step change. Um yeah. You know, he's the first you, time I bit, went. And then Petrarca to this year and then yeah. Gorn, you know, they're, they're guys that you kind of, Petrarca's the, I, I thought Petrarca was going to end up, I did think Petrache would end up one of those guys, all flash, have a great game every twenty, and then you just go, mm. "What was that?" Like you can't do it consistently. So this year's kind of got me excited that he might actually be the next thing. Um, we just had such a desolate. I mean, you got to remember the last. If you go back the last decade, Nathan Jones has been our best player in terms of consistency, yeah. effort. It's it's there hasn't been much excitement. It really hasn't. Yeah, I mean, I,
1: Nathan Jones. I, 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 Nathan Jones is the the Geary of Melbourne. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I love Nathan Jones. You know, he's a very good player and has been, and he works his ass off. And I always equate him. He's the guy stuck in the worst group assignment ever, who's doing all the work. Um, yeah, but the Neil Bailey years, um, up until really now, even those mm. Neil Bailey years. I mean, it, it it's it's almost impossible to just. Talk to people about how bad those years were, like how dark they were, which with no hope but of the twenty-two plays each week, about two should have been my life list. Like it was that you just you just yeah. went knowing we it's it's not about there was no thought of winning. There was I wonder how much we're going to get absolutely belted, and then and then it exceeded your expectations often. You had like the Geelong, <laughs> like it regularly was worse you you go in like you know what's that thing a a pessimist is something an idealist calls a realist and that you know <laughs> and I I remember saying one year to Gil actually before a season I saw him at some launch and he said hey these are going to go and I said terrible and he said oh you normal know was such pessimist, and then halfway through the year he told me he goes you were right you were right
1: <laughs> I think every supporter is a bit like that though you know like even Richmond supporters this year there was that kind of sense of when will it all go wrong I think we all live with sort of you know one foot out the door because of the hurt is so yeah, bad yeah. but I think for Melbourne and Saints supporters you know there's the, <laughs> there's kind of it's almost like a, a Stockholm syndrome or something there is this kind of we don't get frustrated or angry. We just get resigned to the doldrums. You know what I mean? It's 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 depressing. It's kind of when St Kilda like did their uh, road to 2018 and, you know, we're going to be playing finals yeah. and all this kind of shit. And it didn't materialize. Like it just felt so familiar. I remember um, that was the season would come off 2017 where, we, you know, just missed out in finals and everyone was excited about 2018 and Nick Riewoldt had retired and we won four games for the year. And I would just remember, like, there was, I think it was round three, played North Melbourne. It was like a good Friday. It's our first chance to have, like, you know, a primetime audience on a Friday. And it was the worst standard of game I have ever seen. Just couldn't hit targets, low scoring, scrappy. And I actually had to stop for the first time ever and go, I just don't know I want to do this anymore. Like, I just don't think my heart can take it. and. I had just sort of started up this relationship with the St Kilda Football Club at the time as an ambassador where they were asking me to, you know, repost things and and I just was like, fucking <laughs> like I, this is a terrible situation to be in. I have an AFL podcast, I'm an AFL ambassador, but it was just so familiar. You know, like I'd been I'd been there before and it was like I honestly just had to sit down and talk to myself and be like, well, look, you know it's kind of like being in an unhappy marriage. What are you going to do? You're going to like you're going to divorce and go hit up the singles bar. What are you going to do? You're going to date a Gold Coast? You're not going to date a Gold Coast. Get real. Well, yeah, that's the thing. try and make this one work. You can't get divorced in footy,
0: you know, in real life you yeah. can, but in footy you, you can't change teams, so you either give up footy altogether. But uh, yeah, I look, I, the thing I find amazing that does shock me is even when we were losing almost every game and losing by a lot and you just knew we weren't going to win, how much it still hurts. Like we're resigned to a point, but mm. I'm still often shocked. Like these last few years, you know, after we had a good season, made it to that prelim in, in, uh, in West coast. Um, yeah. And we thought, and then we just have plummeted and been horrendous and had a really bad few games in this year. It just, Stung, and Melbourne supporters text mm. you. There's a, there's a bit of a view that Melbourne supporters don't aren't passionate followers, and I, I always mm. hate that because I'm like the people that are still going every game and watching every game are the most passionate supporters almost in the AFL. Because who would sign up to this? <laughs> this is this, there is no fun to it. Like it's only passion and love for the club, and it's because it, there's no return there's not even half-decent seasons very often, you know. The euphoria of that, when we beat Geelong to get into that prelim in 2018, yeah. the euphoria at that MCG, I've never really experienced it. Oh, I, ha- I had in the 90s when we, I think, beat North to get into the grand final, but I was a lot younger then. But the, the euphoria that night was just amazing. Melbourne like, supporters are uh, hardcore It's just, Hmm. you know, and I think Saints fans are too. It's just there is no, I I think that's what other clubs often don't get is it's not that we just haven't won premierships in a long time. There's been these constant horrendous years like hitting rock Hmm. bottom and then you discover, oh, there's another
1: rock bottom. Yeah, (laughs) keep digging. It's amazing. Like, it's funny in that uh, Petrarca, Patty McCartan draft. Like, I remember I was following all the the, the Phantom draft reports, and Petrarca was, as far as I could tell, the clear favorite amongst all commentators and, you know, junior footy observers. And when the Saints took Patty, I was like, oh, okay, that's. I mean, I guess, like he's normally the the, the talk around draft is we're going to go for the best available player, but I think St Kilda drafted for need. It was just after that Tom Boyd trade yeah. from GWS, and so I think a lot of teams got spooked into thinking, well, if there's we take the best key forward because they're too expensive to get later on, but as their careers have sort of like you know, gone in different directions, it's just like, will this be another? Well, another story that the Saints supporters will tell in five years' time where it's like we could have taken Petrarca. You know that guy with the four brown lows around yeah, his neck? Yeah. You know, and the two norms and this. We could have taken Petrarca.
0: Well, we could have taken Dustin Martin. We took Tom Scully and Jack Trengove before him. So we had he came, he was drafted third and we picked those two. Now, of course, the jury's out on who won that trade, that draft. <laughs> um, but, you know, just, you're right. It's just, But this is what... You know, incompetence. I mean, one. Well, one. No one knows anything about footy. I mean, this is the thing. Like, yeah, footy is inc- Footy is ca- is managing chaos. There are so many moving pieces. It's. I have this argument all the time with, you know, sports journeys often, where and another other fans sometimes too, where, I think people growing up playing Madden and NBA Two K and FIFA, have given this this view. You play franchise mode on these, so you. You sell some good plays, you get drafts, you draft. Those all work out really well if you, you know, because it's a computer game. It doesn't factor in, it tries occasionally, but it doesn't factor in personality injuries, how well you develop players, that club develops players. So, you know, this, this, so, so people think there's this science to all this drafting and everything. And, you know, it's, it's really not because unlike, say, basketball, in basketball, if you try draft the best kid coming out of university college or these days off in high school, like a LeBron James, mm. you're instantly going to be, you know, what 40, 50% better with one no. player in, in footy. You could drop, I mean, we've seen it in that five could be put into, you know, the, you know, North Melbourne tomorrow. They're not going to win a premiership. You know, that's, it's, it requires so many more moving pieces and then to build that and do it is so hard. And yeah. you've got a lot of the people doing it are also not that good. So it's 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 just so hard and I think so much has to go right. Um, yeah. And the smart clubs but, – but there is a science to it to an extent because when I speak to the smart clubs and their boards and things – they do have a they do have a legitimate strategy. They do do different to a lot of other clubs. They are smarter.
1: Yeah, but come on, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, <laughs> like yeah. you got to look back and criticise every decision. Well, that's right. I mean, but the the thing too
0: is there's this thing, and St Kilda would have this too. You know, when we were at our worst, we got all these great players, Jack Watts. I'm talking at a junior level, like Jack Walks, mm. Trengove, Um, There's a guy called Lucas Cook, I think went fifth in the draft or something um, that we got, who no one's ever heard of aside from me. There's was, there was a ton of players like that, mm. Tom Scully, all this, and um, and and about 10 others you could go through and name that were all top 10 or top 20 draft picks and it, and it were gun junior footballers. And the narrative is, well, Melbourne drafted badly. And I'm like, Really, they all those players were duds, like all of them. Or is it because they came to Melbourne, where the senior players didn't train properly? The coach was not good. You know, the environment was terrible. It was a lazy environment. You know, and it's it's a bit like pouring water into a sieve. You know, you're not going to catch any. It doesn't matter how much how, how much you pour in. And I think that's a big problem you have with some of these clubs, which is the good clubs have around them because of generations of success. A lot mm. of people who know what it takes. And it's why I always laugh when Melbourne players say, oh, get Gary Lyon back to fix things or get, you know, and I'm like, these guys haven't been near a premiership. Why are we going to them? I mean, no offense, but, you know what I mean? They, they, they haven't won
1: a yeah. pretty Well, that's St Kilda's strategy in the last couple of years of getting Ruffy down there and Dan Hannabury It's actually importing success. And I saw a lot of resistance, you know, on chat rooms and stuff from Saints supporters. And I'm, like, and I'm like you, I'm like, no, <laughs> let's get these guys in. There's always, whenever we've like changed coaches or there's been talk of changing coaches, someone's always like, let's get Rob Harvey. Let's get Rob Harvey back. And I'm always like, no, don't get Banger back. <laughs> Firstly, like I loved... Rob, as a player. Yeah. I've got his jumper. I won it in a raffle when I was 10 years old. But this romanticism of, well, we just need a Saints guy to come back and he'll get the club on the right track. It's like, what are you talking about? Look at the history of the club.
0: Well, I think I think that's like, you saw Luke Hodge, what he did up in Brisbane. Um, yeah. But I also think you know, the, speaking to a lot of players, like I caught up the other day with Bob Murphy and by chance we ended up having a coffee together and we were talking about in his career, I hope he doesn't mind me repeating this, but it's nothing <laughs> particularly uh, controversial. It's just interesting that we had a bit of a chat about how people say footy's gone soft. And yeah. he, we were kind of laughing at it because, yes, you can't king hit a bloke behind the 50 metres off play, but those guys are now so fast and so fit and so conditioned, just the way they tackle and hit. And he says he noticed towards the end of his career that it, it had definitely gone up in, in, and it wasn't just him getting old. He said it, it was much harder game physically. Uh, mm. The tackling, everything was just so much harder than it was even at the start of his career. So you go back yeah. to all Robert Harvey and these guys, and I'm not saying they're good, bad as a heap, but they haven't played for a very long time. Some of them, like the game, moves on you know so if you, you, you're going to get bring people into the club i think you need some players whether they're playing like a hanabry or something or their coach a few assistant coaches who who know what the game is like now because otherwise you're just kevin bartlett yelling at clouds going the game should be the games. So i hate the game and it's ruined
1: <laughs> it does seem to be that there is like i can't remember such a focus on Or attention going to youth with coaching, like there's more of a conversation around what a young coach brings to the table. This idea of like, you know, it's not one size fits all approach to how you treat players. Like you've got to be able, you've got to be able to crack the whip when it needs. You've got to be able to put your arm around them when you need to, and my impression of coaches growing up was they're all kind of like the same. They're just all old guys in overcoats who would just yell at the training track, you know, but they're, if you look at coaches like Bevo, you know, Will and I always joke about Bevo riding a skateboard, you know, down to Oval and just being sort of like the king of the kids and all that kind of stuff. But apart from sort of your Chris Fagans and a couple of the older coaches, like they do tend to sort of skew on that, you know, younger side. And it's like, I think that's, I think that's really interesting because, I agree that the game, I think we've stamped out the kind of stuff that makes the game ugly, but the contests are just as hard and the guys are fitter and they're running for longer and stuff and I just, I think it's, um, I think it's uh, really interesting that like, you see the the, the coaches like Damien Hardwick, the relationship is established with those guys. They're like the cast of Entourage or something, you know, those Richmond players, They love each other, you know, and you feel like Dimmer is part of that as well, has obviously the ability to separate from that, but it just makes me wonder. It's like the big change I've seen happen in St Kilda this year is like the way that players respond to Brett Ratten as opposed to how they responded to Alan Richardson. I think they liked Alan Richardson. I think they kind of respected him. But like Brett Ratten's your mate, you know. You can have a laugh with Brett, you know. And I think there is this kind of premium placed on that as a coach now is you've got to be able to talk to all these different people. Well,
0: they've got to do, they've got to do sort of I think two things, which is they've got to make people feel motivated and part of something and all that. And they've also – but all the good coaches also have that element of they're kind of terrifying at the same time. So, you know, yeah. like like Clarko is not – you know, like you hear people talking about Coach and they loved him, you know, but the, he's hard. He's not like going to let you just – just he's so some I think can skew a bit too, matey, you know, where yeah. the players actually – kind of which is like when you work okay. if you know if you got it all like when you're at school with a teacher if the teacher was sort of hard but fair you didn't actually mind them that much you know and if they gave you a bit of praise when you did something well you end up going oh they're actually a the right teacher you'd have some that just wanted to be your mate and you know you, even you know, you'd like them you didn't do any work and then you'd say "Sir, tell us about the modus what motorcycle do you have again and they'd go oh it's a, <laughs> is that the you know and is that they start to tell you all about motorcycles, and you go well that's that lesson gone You didn't do any work. You liked him. He liked you, but it didn't, you know, I think you have to have that edge of you'll be in trouble if you don't do the work, but if you do the work and you think it's, it's, they'll, they'll be looking out for you and that. So, but I think the hardest thing of senior coaching is there's certain jobs in life, you know, being prime minister, being, you know, um, a CEO, being a coach, you, you can't prepare for it fully. Like you only you found out whether you can do it by doing it like there's no full prep for it you know it doesn't it's not like oh, i've learned all these skills so i'll just slot in the the pressure is different to go from being even the, the assistant coach to suddenly being the person that it all ends with you having all that pressure and it's a lonely job you know the coaches i've spoke to they say how and ceos say it too they say it's very lonely it's because you might have to sack the assistant coaches and their skins not in the game like yours is and the boards isn't they're not your friend totally either you know they it, it, and so i think until you you, you hire someone you, you really it's there's always that x factor that they could be an absolute disaster
1: so this has been great i've just got a few questions i want to rip through i mean i'll rip through the questions you take your time answering <laughs> them. no pressure I think you might have answered this one already but I'm always fascinated to know like who you think is your your club's greatest ever like enigma or cult hero.
0: Uh well definitely I mean you you'd have to put um you'd have to put Jacko uh you'd have to put Jackovic right up there. I mean Mark Jackson was at Melbourne. I mean that's as crazy as it sort of comes, you know, just such a a weird guy, you know. So they're probably the two that I think absolutely Leap out, um, yeah. That, I mean, it's got to be Jackovic just because, like I said, that he is—he's he's like the artist that came out, put out amazing one amazing <laughs> album, and then dis, just disappeared too. Like it's like searching for Sugarman, you know. I mean, I spoken <laughs> to the the front man, uh, the front bar producers, when they ch- tracked him down. It took him forever. People have been trying to track him down for ages. Where is he? Yeah, there's all. There was always these he's working on an oil rig or he's out fishing in the Gulf or like there's all that too. And he's, is the size of, you know, he's 300, you know, he's 300 <laughs> kilos now. And then, you know, you see him and he's not, but it's, it's kind of this amazing. And then you'd hear people say, we well, bumped into Jacko. Like it was like Bigfoot sightings. Yeah. So it's, it's just, there's a whole bizarre world that just built up around that guy. And it's that thing of just, he had all the talent, It was all there, Um, and like you said, the contrast with his brother, who was not as exciting player, but was a brilliant player, was it? Like got every ounce out of his ability, which was high as well. You know, couldn't be. You know, is that sort of (laughs) even been in the media ever since, and kind of it's just a bizarre, bizarre situation.
1: And what would be your happiest memory associated with a game or the club? Uh, definitely my, my happiest because I,
0: I think I was, it came, you know, I remember I remember some of those wins in the 90s in the finals. Some of the, you know, I remember being caught one day on a beautiful sunny day and I think it was a qualifying final. And that, that I remember being pretty joyous. But that getting into that prelim against West Coast after the, those hard, hard years, which were the most brutal years I've ever been through and, you know, really really was mentally <laughs> disintegrating to so that night I just remember I'd done a gig before the game um so I was in my tightest gear with the hat and vest and everything and and as the game finished I at three three quarter time I booked the flight to Perth oh. like and I'd never do that and I thought if I jinx it, I jinx it, but I'll, I'll, I, there's no way I'm missing out on a prelim. I wish I had missed out on that prelim, but anyway, that's another story. But uh, I I remember after the game finished and we won, walking, for some reason the MCC reserve, well, you know, it just usually it closes like about, you know, not not that long after the game finishes. It just was open late. I don't, they were just, they must have been making, it. it was just packed and i walked into wow. one of the rooms and the the um one of the bars and the uh, the frank frank gray or uh, the gray smith bar and the whole place saw me being a melbourne supporter and i'd been on the front bar that week and just went oh, no, it's like the whole room and i was like <laughs> i played and i just i was so joyously happy already but then there was just this sense of everyone was hugging everyone it was just this joyous moment it was the closest sense i get of what a premiership must be like it must be like times 10 you know like it it was just this just the love in the room everyone was your mate it was pre covid so everyone was hugging everyone <laughs> um and it was just this beautiful moment like it was just it 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 shows you why you stick at it
1: yeah it is funny isn't it when you are the most visible or prominent supporter of a team amongst your group of friends because I field questions constantly, like I'm the PR department for the St Kilda Football Club. Yeah. Like whenever anything good or bad happens, my phone lights up with people needing my opinion. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I don't have any inside word on what's going on at the club. I have an opinion as well, but it's, it's hilarious. I normally turn my phone off during a game. I've got a few WhatsApp uh, chats I'm a part of, and I just... I can't be getting involved in that when uh, when I'm trying to see what's going on on the TV. Well, even the
0: inside word doesn't help people as much as you think because it's so much opinion and hearsay. Like occasionally you hear something and it is true and it's kind of funny or interesting, but most of it's just, you know, people. you, you hear people say, oh, the club inside, they're, they're really a concern they're going to we'll lose this week. And you come out and belt them. So it's, you know, even if you have some inner sanctum uh, knowledge, it's it's not
1: ever as useful as you think because it's just such a weird game of so many moving parts. Uh, there's nothing I like better than a, than a late-night trawl through Big Footy, just to check out the rumours board. <laughs> it's fantastic. Like, there's so many supporters who are convinced the AFL are conspiring to take their team down. Like, they're, they're, there's a cabal working against their team of umpires and AFL officials to take down their team. Every club thinks it.
0: Oh, they, I mean, there's so many that, you know, this, I, I get them bail me up and they'll say, you know, do you think this? And I'm like, I've met the AFL executives. that they, they, they can... They couldn't put together a conspiracy <laughs> of any note. Like, no offense, but I wish they were that clever. But, you know, I mean, also in fairness to the AFL, I mean, AFL is actually pretty well run overall, as much as I have my problems with a lot of some of the direction and stuff. But, you know, I always say, like, to be like, to bastardize Churchill's quote about democracy, it's the worst kind, it's the worst sporting administration in Australia, except for all the others. because it's, you wouldn't want to be any, you know, the others have shown, you know, they look, they're giants in comparison, but yeah, the idea that there's this conspiracy, you don't need it because your own clubs will stuff it up for you. You know, it's, but this is the thing I remember talking to people who, you know, you get these people who businessmen and women, or, you know, all these things who are really smart in their field. They suddenly go on a board in a footy club and everyone says this around footy they instantly revert back to being fans. It's like they turn off that smart part of their brain. The logical, the reason. Yeah, reasonable. they just, and they all just, and you talk to them and they are like that. They just, it's, and I'm assuming if, I would never be on a, a board, but I'm assuming we'd all be like that because we think we'd go in calmly rational. And then after a few losses,
1: you're like, set the gauge. <laughs> So uh, what would be the most crushing memory you have? Is it the Was it the prelim or has it been something worse?
0: The prelim was pretty bad. Um, we had the one where we lost to Geelong, you know, that was like they scored like, what was under. I've I really blanked a lot of it out, but it's that famous scoreboard where they're like 187 or something. But I remember the week before that we played, so that was bad, but I remember the week before it we were already having a, a shocker yeah, it was really bad. And I remember the week before going and I was sitting there with a the mate watching it and we were getting pumped by Hawthorne. Um, and I, and they didn't beat us by much as Geelong did the next week, but Hawthorne took – about halfway through the third quarter, Hawthorne totally just took their foot off the pedal completely. They basically stopped playing and they still won by, I think it was like 100 points or something, you know, which which preceded the Geelong belting. Um But I remember there was this moment in like the second quarter, and I was at a real low ebb with with the team because they would just they just didn't try. And I remember saying, "Let's see how long it takes us for us to see a Melbourne player sprint, like break out of a light jog." And we sat there, and I kid you not, for about five minutes, and there's just no movement. And then suddenly we see, "What he goes? Oh, he's sprinting!" And I look over, and we watch him, and he's. The guy sprinting off for the interchange, <laughs> and I just remember, like, even though it wasn't a loss, it was a loss. But even though it was just, I had this. I remember just going home with my mate, and we went to a pub afterwards, and I was just like, "We're we're literally nowhere. We're we're not even mm. we're not even at base camp of climbing the mountain for a pre. We we are barely an AFL side." Um, You know, and I just remember at that point thinking, can I really keep doing it? But at the end of the day, I just it shows you that I just, you know, it's a it's it's love, and love is irrational. Like I just love the club. There's no reason I should. I should hate the club. I I do I do get in a fight sometimes. Discussions would be they're always very reasonable. But some Melbourne supporters say to me, you need to be more supportive. You bag the club a lot. And yeah. I say, you know what? I pay my membership and go all the time. The club needs to lift, not me. I don't need to be nicer. They need to do better, <laughs> you know. Although, So there's this sort of, I don't know if St. Kilda has this, but there's sort of this faction of fans that is like, we support them no matter what and they're great. And if you run them down, you're, you know, you're not a true fan. And then there's these other ones that are like me that are a bit like, it's that sort of being nice and accepting. Like, I don't see Hawthorne fans going, yeah, no, we're happy where we are at the moment. It's great. Let's rebuild for the next five years.
1: There's an expectation of excellence yeah. you where know, where poor performances aren't tolerated. I mean, I've been a member of um, the Sensational chat board for like, must be 12, 13 years now. Never post. I just go on and read. And like, that's where I like to go after a, a heartbreaking loss or whatever, just to sort of level out because you see the insanity that gets posted in that chat yeah. room and, you know, people wanting everyone sacked or get rid of this player or this player is no good writing off a player who's played like 15 games or whatever. And it's a really good leveler where you're like, okay, great. Like I'm feeling depressed right now, but this is the deep end. Like this is, this is where fanaticism can take you. I was talking to um, Bernard Carey, who's a tiger supporter. And he was saying that, you know, in, you know, the midst of their, 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 their real low period, he would just sort of have this feeling of like, maybe I'll just, I'll just won't watch football for like a few months. I'm just going to take a, take a break. And I'm like, absolutely. Like when St. Kilda came out of that 97, 98 period and we finished last again, I moved to Sydney and it was a great breakup <laughs> because we had some distance between us. We saw other people, you know, and then I started getting interested again around 2001 when we get Rewalt Walt and Kaczynski and Del Santo to the club. But I think, like a relationship and love you know you have to sort of protect your heart from time to time
0: yeah no you 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 do i i'm not very good at doing that you know i've tried <laughs> i and and especially now that sort of my job revolves around it now it's even harder because you know i don't have any distraction from it but um yeah there's no there's no sense to this like it's completely stupid what i'm doing to myself and uh <laughs> you know but you but it's you do. It's the hope of the human spirit that we, you know, but I, I like what you're saying about, you know, going and seeing people who are more angry than you because, because yeah. I have this theory in life called, which I've come up with called the anger pyramid, which I noticed like if you're ang- if, whoever someone in every situation is the most angry and only one person can really be the most angry. And so everyone else in the room, drops down to being less angry. So, therefore, they placate and try and calm down the most angry. So, when you walk into a room and there's an issue, people look at someone really angry and they instantly go, I've got to calm this guy down. And calming someone down who's angry is exhausting and annoying, you know. Mm. But there's another way, which is you jump above them on the anger pyramid (laughs) and get more angry than them. And then they drop down and start going, Mate, I'm not saying we should kill them all. Like, calm down. Yeah. And they've stopped being angry because you're more. Yeah. And they, so there's kind of this way that, you know, I used to do it when I worked in with CEOs and the CEO would say something, and go, I'm furious about this. And I go, You're furious. We just sacked a whole lot of them. And you'd be like, Come <laughs> on, we're not sacking all of them. <laughs> and he'd
1: think the nuclear option,
0: but I was doing it on purpose to like, it's human nature. And so what you're doing is using it in reverse, is going in there and going, I'm really upset. And then you suddenly start reading how upset others are and go, well, I'm not that upset. That's crazy. Yeah. And you're instantly a, that little bit less, you know, you're a little bit less like it makes you drop down on the, you know, you're using it in reverse.
1: Um, It's probably a strange question because you work in the media. Uh, but if for some reason, if the, the demons were to fold, if they went the way of Fitzroy Football Club, do you think you would just, Pick another team and keep supporting, or would you become that? I'm not religious; I'm spiritual kind of football supporter. We just follow the competition.
0: Oh uh, because because Melbourne, you know, that's almost been a realistic scenario once or twice in my life. Not not, yeah, but yeah, close to at least merging. I think it was the yeah. merger. I would have been furious, but probably stuck with it because you would have liked yeah. the players a bit or something. I think if Melbourne were to dis like. You know, and you would have won four premierships
1: by now. Well, it's <laughs> four, it's four worked recruits. very well
0: that us not merging because between the two teams we've won four premierships <laughs> between us, so it's worked very well. Um, but I do think if Melbourne just w- were shut down tomorrow, went broken, you know, weren't merged at all. I mean, I don't. Know how, how, I think that's I'd react if they were merged. But if they were just gone, like Fitzroy, and well, people mm. would say they have merged. But if they were just really gone. I don't think I could follow footy anymore. I definitely couldn't go to another team, but I think it would just destroy my love of footy, you know, because it is so, like, I love the game, but it is so club-based, which is Mm. why I even, like, love love the AFLW, because when Melbourne first started playing in that, if they lose, I almost instantly, I feel instantly like the same thing. Like, it's just, it's... The colours, the song, the fact that it's Melbourne. It just I'm a total yeah, you know, it's must it it's must be what it's like being in Scientology, you know? Like if Scientology mm-hmm. opens a new branch, you don't go, you know, you're you're all in. So I, I don't know, mate, you know, I I might get into another sport or something or do but I don't know. I think I'd be too furious at the whole the whole thing. So I I hope it doesn't happen, which is why I'm very so against why. the let's move north every five minutes. Yeah. You know, because I think it's I think it's doing a bit of a disservice to a lot of very passionate fans who have given a lot of, a, like, you know, it's nice there's a bit of a legacy, you know, I think. And it's, you, you, you're mucking, it's, it, we're not a cold hard, football has always had to balance commercial with the community and it's a pendulum that we swing between. And I think we increasingly, at our detriment, keep tipping a bit over towards the commercial a bit too much. You have to have it. Anyone that's read about AFL in the 80s knows that the whole comp could have gone broke. So, you know, we do need the financial stuff. But I think sometimes we we forget that the power of it And when you got back to why do we all like it is it's a community. I, I can meet someone I've never met before
1: and end up having a half hour chat with them and really enjoy it. Well, as my wife pointed out after seeing me catch up with a friend, I haven't seen in a long time and we immediately started talking about football. She watched us for about 20 minutes then came over and said, oh, I see this is why guys follow football. So you have something to talk about with each other. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But it's, it's the same with, I mean, it's becoming increasingly like with, you know,
0: it's women, men, everyone. It's like, you know, I can, I can now go to any, yeah, because I've got a bit of a profile now as a footy fan. I can go to any state, and I've got people who go, "Let's catch up for lunch." And I've I've met them only a couple of times through functions or something, and it's all mm. through footy, you know. It's and they're great people. We have fun, like catch up, have a beer, you know. Like, it's it's just such a you know connected thing, and that and that's why we all do it. Like, it's mm. you know, and it's got the added fun that you can win or you can lose.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's that common language, isn't it? It's kind of like, you know, uh, meeting people who all speak Klingon. Like all of a sudden, because you can always tell in that conversation when someone says they follow AFL, you can throw out a few kind of guide questions that will give you a sense of, oh, how much do they know? How much of a football fan are they? And if they're legit, then you can go in any direction.
0: Yeah, and there's, and there's nothing funnier than meeting someone and them going on a rant about something and that's happened in footy, you know? Like that's the one thing I yeah. missed in lockdown is just being at the pub I go to the commercial club hotel a lot, which is a great footy club in North Fitzroy, and I, and I know a lot of the regulars. And the nights I've had, just like laughing so much at someone I barely know, and they they're just going on a full blown rant, a funny one, and but you know with genuine anger as well about their club <laughs> or some coach or, and it's just joyous, like it's just hilarious, like and in lockdown I I missed all that and just talking nonsense and yeah you know, I love people that are like. You know, if we if we got a second round pick and our first round pick, and we package that with some worthless, we could then trade for these eight top ten players. You know, and I just I just love the way that you know it comes back to. It's a safe space to put all your passion into because it doesn't hurt it. It doesn't mean anything. No, you know, it's not politics. It's not. It's it is. It's People often say, "Oh, it's wasted that people are doing all this energy into sports when they could be doing it into their communities." And it's like, but yes, it's but it's the vent from all that. It's the air. It's the fact that it doesn't do any of those things. That is why we all do it. Because at the end of the day, we know it's
1: kind of so stupid that we care. <laughs> and lastly, what's uh, your prediction for the demons in twenty
0: twenty one? Well, with Ben Brown, I can't see how we're not going to win the premiership. <laughs> I don't well, there's my rational one and then there's my my emotional one is we'll probably do what we did this year and break my heart. you know. And that's partly trying to protect myself as well. But I think we'll go all right. I, I think we should – I think we're a good chance to make finals, but I don't think much higher than sort of seventh. But, you know, I mean – Melbourne Melbourne do just have this ability to disappoint and I'd love to be proven wrong. I always like, I'm dying for the day someone pulls up all my tweets and goes, you said this, you said this, how wrong were you? And I'd be like, I want that to happen. (laughs) Like you don't like being right all the time. And I do worry like, you know, there's a big question mark over whether Goodwin can can coach, you know. And, uh, you know, the problem with our teams is... Often you think God, we we drop one or two early, you know, two three games early, and it could spiral really quickly. You know the confidence is not always there. So you know, but I, I think we we with the who they've got there, they they I, I've never been as deluded to think we're after even that, the um, 2018 thing that we're instantly on the cusp of premiership. But I think we should be a, a bottom of the top eight side.
1: Spoken with the true optimism of a demon supporter.
0: Yeah. But but really <laughs>
1: expecting us to finish like fourteenth.
0: And Petrarca Dardis. leaving us at the end of the year and yeah. like Got some fire Geist. sale, you
1: know? Titus, <laughs> yeah. thanks so much for your time. Anytime. We are two guys, one car.